0: This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olscher. Hello, there we go. See? It's all alive and well. I don't know which mic I'm on, Wait. Which mic am I? It's all good. Now you can hear me. What's up? You can hear me? Mary can hear me? I can Hi, hear Mary. You. Well, it was kind of nice
1: time. when you were talking. I'm like, <laughs> I can't hear him.
0: <laughs> it's all see, working just for just me. Just see the mouth go. <laughs> <laughs> no words coming out. Oh, man. Hi, Mary Goulet. Hello. <laughs> What's up, Richie Ote? Okay? How's it going, How oh, are you, my man? Uh, White Wade's got it uh, sort of under control over there, studio-wise. There's, there's only four mics to choose from. I mean, it's... <laughs>
2: Let's point. Up, let's point this one over at you. Oh too. man, it's
0: funny. So I just uh, I just did a contest. We just launched our new show, Beyond Eight Figures, and uh, I just did a contest where we were giving away a thousand dollars in sort of like a little treasure hunt kind of thing. You had to listen to four episodes and find some answers to some questions. Oh, cool. And uh, and so we had a lot of people who entered that. As a matter of fact, at the end of the day, there uh, there were sixty seven people who entered, uh, which you know is kind of cool that sixty seven people went through all the episodes and then found the answers. But then I was thinking like the odds of of winning 1000 bucks, like 1 in 67, that's pretty good. Like, so, I, I take those odds all day long.
1: But how many people got all of the answers correctly?
0: I don't. You know, most of them. Some of them had a little answer. Oh, that and then you did a random pick? We, 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 random.org. Have you ever used that? It's, uh-uh. pretty, yeah, cool. it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. You just throw in your, your whole list of things and uh, all sorts of folks uh, you know, use that. But you throw in a whole list of things and then it just literally randomizes the order of them. And uh, anyway, I'm just saying that the odds of like one in 67 winning ground is pretty good. Uh, one in four, way to get the mic right, yeah, I mean, even better, right? So uh, we're all good, all good. Speaking of all good, um, uh, I'm really excited to, well, have our guest join us today because we're going to have uh, an amazing guest join us here with Mr. Chip Conley. And uh, Richie, I know, uh, are you are you going total fanboy on me, man? I think you're going uh, total fanboy on me, aren't you? Yes, I am. Um, yeah. Why? Like, tell, tell me what you know. What, what, what do you... I mean, I've done my homework, and I've actually talked to him for uh, a bit, so I've got my, my understanding of the guy. But you, you've you actually known his work for quite some time. What, what do you know? Like, why are you such a fan? Like, what, what's going on I'm, there?
2: I'm a fan on multiple levels, so...
0: <clears throat> he is cute.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> there's, all, there's all the above. So, one of them... First and foremost, loved his hotels, right? Always yeah. loved boutique hotels. Even Sweet. thought that was a an angle I was gonna go. Yeah. That's one. And then the obvious, you know, reinventing himself mm-hmm. and going on to help Airbnb's awesome too. Yeah. But as you know, I'm working on my book on happiness. Yeah. And he's literally the person I wanted to forward my book. Mm. And it's partially because yeah, I'm not gonna take you through the whole acronym yeah. on happiness, but it was it ha the the emotion is the E for in the acronym, mm-hmm. and it's balanced off. The first P is prosperity, and I was looking for people in the business world who had done incredible things that were talking about emotion, and I couldn't find anyone. Yeah, and then I stumble on one of the guys that I looked up to and just thought was an amazing guy. And yeah. then now, what was I've, the
0: book though? That because that that was the there was emotional second, equations. Emotional. Okay, gotcha. Yeah yeah man so let's uh you know i i I, we were talking before the show and i know how excited you are to have chip join us here today man so let's uh wade let's actually bring up chip and uh and give chip an opportunity here to say hello what's up my man how are you doing brother and how about now (laughs) we got you there bud we do we do we're trying it's one of those days. Is Mercury and uh, Gatorade. Is that what's going on right now? Is it one of those things? Is Mercury a,
2: and Gatorade.
0: Is that not what it is? Something like that. Retrograde? Oh, is that what it is? When it's Retrograde? going backwards? Yeah, something like that. All right, we'll Mercury. figure it
2: out. It's not Mercury Interactive,
0: though. It's, it's not Mercury Interactive. That was, uh, that was another episode. So we'll, uh, we'll get it figured out over here. And um, when, I, when I get the thumbs up from Wade, we'll be good to go. But uh, on, a, on a completely separate note here, uh, we, we, have to, we have to have a moment of silence. Uh you, you just told me right before the show started that, uh, that uh, Burt Bert Reynolds Burt Reynolds passed Aww, away. Oh, that's so sad. That is so sad. Like, well, you I know what? Smokey and the Bandit. Like, that was, mm. that was a thing.
1: I mean, of course, we want to live as long and healthy as we can. But if you guarantee me 82, I'll take it.
0: You'll take 82?
1: I would. Really? I mean, am I going to push for 83 if I'm not feeling well or... <laughs>
0: Yeah, t- I like take the way you said.
1: Guaranteed,
0: yes If you
2: guaranteed it
0: yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let, let's do this. Hopefully. It. So, Chip, were you uh, were you a big fan of Burt Reynolds, man? Was that uh, did, did bring us up a screen on that? Yeah.
3: <laughs> Burt Reynolds. You know, what I, I don't know if I ever aspired to be Burt Reynolds, but uh, I appreciate the fact that you know he aged somewhat gracefully.
0: He did. He did. You know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank
3: I mean, you guys for being being
0: there. Yeah, right. Was he Smokey or was he the Bandit? I never can remember that whole thing. I just know I just remember that car and I was I a kid. Know. I grew up loving that car. So, Chip, where uh, where were you joining us from today? I know you're a uh, a global I, traveler and I'm I know you were their, actually Yeah, where were you at?
3: I'm in San Francisco headquarters of Airbnb, a technology company where the phone went dead. <laughs> oh, the phone went dead. Is
0: that yeah? Well, oh, that's funny. Go figure. Yeah, but you were yeah. weren't you traveling though? You were you were elsewhere though recently. No, like out of out of the country I or? Was,
3: Yeah. I've been all over. So, I, yeah, I, I give talks all over the world, and I was just in South America and Peru, Ecuador, and Panama uh, doing giving some talks.
0: Nice, man. So when you, so when you give these talks, uh, I know a lot of what you talk about today is just this whole uh, sort of movement in, in terms of the making of a modern elder, and we're going to talk a lot about that. Uh, but is that yeah. the focus of most of your talks nowadays, or are you talking about Airbnb and that story? <laughs> and I just want to understand what you talk about when you take the stage.
3: Sure. Sure. You know, I, um, some of it's like what, uh, Richie, can I call you Richie? Sure. Is that okay, Richard. Of course. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, he was talking about happiness. So, uh, years ago I gave a talk at TED on what I learned about happiness. And so sometimes people will have me talk about that. Sometimes they'll have me talk about uh, a book I wrote 11 years ago called Peak, How Great Companies Get Their Mojo from Maslow. So it's applying <clears throat> famous psychology theory to, uh, organizations. Um, sometimes I talk about emotions from my Emotional Equations book, and but most of the time today, I think the number one thing I talk about is uh, wisdom at work—the making of a modern elder, which is my my new book that comes out uh, later this month—and it's yeah. really the idea of, you know, how do we create more intergenerational collaboration?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're kind of the poster child for that right now with uh, everything that's been going on with Airbnb. But let's take a let's take a few steps back because. A lot of what we like to cover here on Reinvention Radio is how our guests have reinvented their lives and how they went from point A to point Z oftentimes, right, with a million different trials and tribulations and turns and brain damage in between. So we we don't have to go all the way back, all the way back, but what was the first big career move for you, coming out of school or uh, sometime thereafter?
3: So, uh, yeah, I went to college uh, here in Northern California and uh, then decided to go straight into business school um, and got a, uh, an MBA. And I was going to go the traditional MBA route, like, you know, investment banking. I worked for Morgan Stanley between my first and second year of business school. <clears throat> but I think at age 23, I was ready to invent, reinvent myself already. Mm-hmm. And um, I decided to go work for a maverick real estate developer in San Francisco who was doing a lot of interesting Projects renovating older buildings. And I did that for about two and a half years. And then uh, on my 26th birthday, I finished a business plan to create a boutique hotel company. And this is a time in the mid 1980s when um, nobody even knew the expression boutique hotel. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
3: But I liked the idea of uh, taking my real estate knowledge. Uh, and applying it in uh, in, an industry that clearly was in the business of making people happy, which is part of the reason that I called the company Joie de Vivre, which is not a particular, but it means joy of life in French. And uh, that company, Joie de Vivre, that I started at age 26, I ran it for 24 years as the CEO and um, grew to 52 hotels and uh, the second largest boutique hotel company in the U.S.
0: Yeah, and... Really uh, excited, actually, to speak with you on our other show, Beyond Eight Figures, where we sit down with entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than $10 million or currently run businesses that generate more than $10 million annually. And we'll go into a lot of the nuts and bolts and details around exactly how you did that and the exit and and so on. But let's just – Let's just simplify things here and say that the exit, the sale of that business, um, was beneficial for you. Yeah.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but it was, it was beneficial. It was beneficial financially, but it was actually more beneficial emotionally. To be honest with you, I. It's a, an interesting thing when you've been doing the same thing for 24 years. Now, when you grow a company from one person to 3,500 people, which is how big we got to. Um, it's obviously not doing the same thing every day because it, it yeah. changed over time. But what initially felt like a calling over time became more of a job. And um, so the biggest benefit I got from selling the business to a guy named John Pritzker, whose father started Hyatt,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, was the, it gave me the freedom to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I guess the freedom to reinvent myself yeah. uh, at right at, the, at age 50. And um, so that's how I ended up... Uh, Starting to imagine what was next. Yeah, I can tell you more if you want, or I'll let you. I'll let you ask.
0: Yeah, you know, and uh, Richie, I know you're jumping out of your chair here, but uh, one of the expressions that uh, that, that I talk about uh, is this this whole idea of the golden shift, right? And and especially mm. people uh, kind of of your ilk who are looking to shift from what I would call prominence to relevance. And Mm. it's that wake up moment of, you know, geez, everything so far that I've done from a career perspective has been fun, entertaining, exciting and good for me. And those closest to me, but really no one else. And, you Mm -hmm. know, and it it seems to happen, especially when the zeros start to hit the bank account, of course, with at least one positive number in front of those zeros. Uh, But, you know, when those zeros hit the bank account, it's a wake up call for you. Was that, uh, and for most people, was that the case for you where you woke up and you said, geez, now, I, you know, I've, I've done this for so long, I don't have to do the grind anymore, I have the zeros in the bank, but I actually want to move to what I would call more meaningful work. And, of course, you can have that flexibility when you have the zeros in the bank because you don't have to uh, kind of succumb to the day-to-day of the of, of the grind. So. Was that what happened for you, that, that whole golden shift or prominence to relevance, or what was the conversation in your mind in that moment?
3: Yeah, I think that was, that was part of it. I think there was also a sense that um, I got clear on what was it that led me to starting a business in the first place,
0: mm-hmm. and
3: it was creativity and freedom.
0: Yeah. Um,
3: and yet when, you got, when I got to 52 hotels and then 3,500 employees, when I asked myself, do I feel very creative these days mm-hmm. or do I have a lot of freedom? And I, the answer was no and no. And, and this was the Great Recession. Uh, and I, you know, we went through two most-in-a-lifetime downturns here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Most of our hotels were in the Bay Area. We were the lar- by far the largest hotelier in the Bay Area in terms of the number of hotels we had. And so there was an element in me like, ah, I've been through a downturn before. We, got, we did well during the dot-com bust. But now we're in, in the Great Recession. It was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm over this. And, and I was missing the creativity and freedom. So I think the, the part of what I was really trying to get back to is what got me to be an entrepreneur in the first place.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and so, yes, so I ended up selling the company and creating a really unusual company um, called Fest 300, uh, mm-hmm. dedicated to introducing the 300 best festivals in the world to people. Um, festivals of all kinds, cultural festivals, music festivals. Uh, Burning man just happened this weekend, and i 'm on the board of Burning Man the art festival crazy festival um, so I went around the world going to festivals. that was a fun job that was
4: <laughs>
3: mm. um, that was more of a, a sort of like a you know I, I was trying to compete with that guy who was most the world 's most interesting man or interesting person because yeah. i I was going around the festivals everywhere but it was about that time when i was I had just turned fifty two when um the three founders of airbnb Approached me and Brian Chesky, who's 21 years my junior, uh, said, "How would you like us to help? How would you like to help us democratize hospitality?" Um, and then he was talking about language.
2: Yeah. So
3: I felt like the creativity and freedom came back to me because this was five and a half years ago when Airbnb was a tiny company um, and in the startup mode. And they didn't have anybody in the company who had a hospitality or travel industry background. So,
0: mm-hmm.
3: yeah, I, I said, okay, it's startup mode again. Um, yeah, count me in. Yeah,
0: and uh, and I'm looking forward to going into more depth around that uh, again on our on our other interview that we'll do. But what I what I really want to try to understand here is uh, in terms of Airbnb and having that opportunity uh, to consult with them they found you out of the blue did you have someone putting out feelers for opportunities did you know you wanted to mentor uh you know you're talking about being a modern elder and and using some of that wisdom to help the youth did you had you well i don't want to get too woo on here but kind of law of attraction i mean were you putting things out to others in the hopes of attracting someone like uh the founder of airbnb
3: no, that's the part that's funny. Mm. Not at all. I actually, on some level, I wasn't necessarily looking for the new thing. I, I, I was enjoying the idea of the Best Three Hundred thing, and and Brian approached me just three months before we were actually launching the website for Best Three Hundred, and so I sort of said to him initially, you know, I don't really know what Airbnb is. I, home sharing doesn't sound like it's got you know great legs to it. You're gonna have to convince me that this is worthwhile. Um, let's get together and have some, some coffee or tea. And we did. And i got to tell you, I was so impressed with him in terms of, here's this young man who started the company when he was 26. He's now 31. At that, I didn't realize the company had grown to that size at that point. This was five and a half years ago. and It was a tiny company relative to today. But it, at that point, it had a valuation of $2.5 billion. Mm. Um, and so it was, not a, it was not a small company in terms of its valuation. It had about 300 employees. But not anyone in that company had any travel or hospitality industry background. So I started getting curious, and I started really asking a lot of interesting, curious questions. And I was really fascinated by how Brian was so open to learning. He wasn't trying to be Mr. Know-it-all. And so, yes, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll initially just you know give you 15 hours a week. Um, but within about two or three weeks, what was clear was this was 15 hours a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I ended up joining as a full-time leader head of uh, global hospitality and strategy, Brian's mentor, but the part of the modern elder thing is interesting is that I believe a modern elder versus the traditional elder. The traditional elder was all about reverence, and I think the modern elder is all about relevance, a word that you you used a few minutes ago. Mm. It's about relevance, which means that you are as much of an intern as you are a mentor, which means that you realize, as I did at age 52, I don't know a damn thing about technology the technology industry. I'm in the Bay Area, but I have never worked in a tech company, and they're talking a language I didn't understand. The whole strategy didn't make sense to me, Mm -hmm. but I just felt really lost, and I'm supposed to be the smart old guy in the room, and I was feeling like, wow, I have a lot to learn here, and that's when I realized that the modern elder is as much of a a learner as they are a teacher or an intern as they are a mentor, and Mm -hmm. So that was really my five and a half years now at Airbnb uh of helping the company grow to now the the world's largest hospitality brand. Um and uh and just learning along the way that, you know, I needed to reinvent myself.
0: Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah, it's an interesting lesson. And uh, you know, what I guess the, the natural question uh, at this juncture would be then uh, did you did you find that happiness with the creativity and uh, and the freedom? I mean, it, it, did this role allow you to reconnect with the creativity and the freedom?
3: Yeah, it, it it definitely did until we grew to a size. Strangely enough, as we got closer to 3,500 employees again. Um, but if for a company that's a tech company with 3,500 employees, is very different than a bricks and mortar hotel company with 3,500 employees. Mm-hmm. Because the valuation of Airbnb at the point we got to 3,500 employees was substantially, substantially larger than my company, ease. I think at that point, what was clear to me, and this was a year and a half ago, when I transitioned from being in a full time uh, leader role to being the strategic advisor to the three founders. Which allows me to give about 30 hours a week. Oh, I'm sorry, 30 hours a month. Thank God it's not 30 hours a week. <laughs> 30 hours a month um, to just being helpful in a sort of leadership guidance kind of way. Um, but I loved being in the trenches. You know, building a business that had never been created before, that had never really been a home-sharing company. Um, There had been some companies like VRBO that were doing vacation rentals, but not primary homes in urban markets. And so obviously we were controversial along the way because there were no laws around, you know, what to do here. And that's been a complicated part of the business. And I've done my best to try to make sure that we are a good partner with, you know, with uh, communities and, and government bodies to say, okay, how do you regulate us in a way that's sensible? Um, But I think the biggest piece was just going around the world, and I was in charge of all the hosts globally, going around the world and meeting with, you know, little mini entrepreneurs in in places in hundreds of, you know, countries, 192 countries around the world, um, and 80,000 cities uh, Mm are where Airbnb has listings. So that was amazing. And then, also plotting the strategy for a company that was going to be disruptive in the industry that I love so much, uh, hospitality.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mary, did you, because uh, it looks like you're, you're well, kind of nodding and smiling I am because and jumping I've jumping over there. And... I started
1: out with VRBO with one of my rentals, and then I added Airbnb. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so the model keeps shifting, and I help people start their own <clears throat> short-term vacation rental. And it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. It depends on where you are. Luckily, in, where I yep. live in San Diego, um, they're not heavily regulating us. They just want us to have a permit. Yep. But down south San yep. Diego, I mean, everybody's in an uproar. And honestly, I really put it on the hosts as their responsibility to manage what they're, how they're vetting their guests. For sure. And so you went out and, and talked with the hosts Worldwide, correct? Yeah. What
3: did you... Well, I I, I did in a variety of ways, both going out and talking to them, but also having sometimes global webinars and things like that.
1: Yeah, that's very helpful because the communication style with these huge companies and the small entrepreneur that's trying to run a a fairly lucrative business, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you suggest that we get a little bit closer to corporate, a host to
3: corporate? Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I, I think it's a great question. Um, one of the challenges for a company that scales as quickly as Airbnb does is that <clears throat> they start scaling communication. And when and <laughs> anybody who says to you, scaling communication means basically that you're creating templates that have, that you know, sort of boilerplate communication that goes out these days of the month, and there's less human interaction piece to it. And I think the part of what I tried to do during my five-and-a-half years at Airbnb, but really my four years in a full-time role, was to try to humanize the communication, humanize the relationships as much as possible. It's You know, there's always going to be challenges, and the question is, um, as I learned from my hotel days, uh, sometimes the person who becomes your biggest evangelist is the person who has a difficult problem. And you sat down to try to solve it with them, and you, they felt respected and heard in the process. And so, I think a lot of it is is that. Uh, and you know, the thing that I'm proud of is that the um, we use the the same metric that the hotel industry uses, which is NPS, Net Promoter Score, in terms of determining our guest and our host satisfaction. So, guest satisfaction with our hosts and our host satisfaction with Airbnb. And both of those metrics went up substantially, and at this point the guest satisfaction metric is substantially higher than the hotel industry's, which is sort of shocking.
4: Mm. Because
3: uh, the hotel industry has employees providing the service, and so you'd expect, okay, well, they have a lot of control over that. Well, not so much. The feedback loop in the hotel industry is sort of broken, um, which I can tell you more about if you want. But in the, because of the review system we have at Airbnb, um, hosts would get, you know, re- would get instantaneous feedback, most of it pretty good in terms of what the, what the information is, and it allows the host to get better over time, such that now you know, guests on Airbnb are substantially happier than guests in hotels. Now that, that's, you know, you're comparing apples and oranges, let's mm-hmm. just be real about that, but the fact is it's a metric that we can actually look at over time and see the progress.
2: Yeah, I, this is Richie here I was going to ask you um, kind of a twofold question so I'll start with um, do you think I kind of go back to your uh, emotion equations do you think some of that net promoter score is they just have higher expectations of the hotel they think right out of the gate this hotel has more money they have more staff so they probably have higher expectations right out of the gate as opposed to hey just a one-off person's renting me their house so it's kind of like yeah, under promise, over deliver. It's easier to get that. I mean, not to say you don't have your work cut out, but you
3: know, there's a But she, there's an interesting equation in my in that book, emotional equations of um, mine. Disappointment equals expectations minus reality, <laughs> and it it, 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 it it covers anything, including your honeymoon. Um, so uh, the fact is, if your expectations are high, then uh, and reality's low, that disappointment's going to result. And I agree that um, generally speaking, I think we probably expect more from a hotel experience than maybe from a, a home-sharing, vacation rental experience. Although I would say over time, as Airbnb and VRBO and others have become more mainstream, I, I actually think the expectation levels have gotten closer to each other, uh, which means that the uh, Airbnb and the host, the VRBO and their hosts have to um, step up their game that much more. Can
1: I speak but to I that? Think, yes, I think, oh, no, go ahead, Richie. Maybe, just, yeah, please. We'll well, I was going to say it. the,
2: second, second, part of the uh, second part of that question was, I was noticing as you were talking about the scaling and just being a fan of yours for a while, I I know you said you wanted the creativity and the freedom, but from everything I've heard or read or seen you've done, you're a people person. You care about people. And Uh it's, it's, it's very obvious. And I'm wondering if the thing behind the thing is when you even mentioned with Airbnb is you couldn't scale. So you weren't, Able to talk to Vivian as much, right? From from your TED talk and all that, like you couldn't. Once it got to that number, like yeah, creativity and freedom, you 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 couldn't get that one on one as easily. And do you think that that had a bigger yeah. role in it than just freedom?
3: Yeah, I think. I mean, I listen. I love people, uh, and I you know I'm fascinated by people. And so uh, the bigger you get, the the more everything gets process-sized, process, a process that you're doing everything as opposed to people-focused. Uh, and, yeah, and that's part of the reason I'm, I, I actually have a new startup that I've created, you know, I, now that I'm in an advisor role that allows me to get back to being people-centered again. So I, I guess you're right. You're my, you're my therapist. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I think you're right.
2: Awesome. Well, keep it up. I mean, I I I pre-ordered the book, by the way, too. Nice.
1: (laughs) So I have one comment and one question. My comment is um, I'm a premier partner with VRBO and a super host with Airbnb. And being able to speak with the support team whenever I have a situation going on makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to dig and dive to find the customer service phone number for the host. Yeah. But – I yeah. dig and I dive, and I always have 100% satisfaction with how they treat me. So that's my comment about right. that, which is, I think, the glue. And also, they people do have low expectations coming to rentals because a lot of people are still very new to it, uh, renting yeah. a portion of a house or a full house or whatnot. And I have both scenarios. And so my job, because I'm responsible for their vacation that they look forward to, um, is to blow their socks off. So when they walk up, their reaction is, oh, wow, this is even better than the Mm -hmm. pictures. This is better than we expected. So Mm -hmm. that is something that I think new people... Go ahead.
3: Yeah. Totally agree, Mary. Um, And it's clear that you have hospitality in your blood. Um, I felt the necessity when i during my four years of being in a full-time role to actually uh make my airbnb email address accessible to all the hosts so now I, I, and what it would that was, be? the way i did that was <laughs> it, it was chip at airbnb.com <laughs> um and what and, I, and that comes directly to me so if you got a problem mary reached out to me although i'm not full-time anymore so I, I'm on that email address occasionally, not as much as I used to be. But mm-hmm. the reason I say that is because, um, yeah, most companies don't would much rather have you use the, the um, online approach to, to trying to solve things as opposed to the phone approach, partly because it costs them more to do it by phone. Um, what I wanted to help clear up, clear up you know, five and a half years ago when I joined is, hey, listen, I am your advocate. As the host community, I am the person here at Airbnb responsible for helping our hosts be effective in what they're doing, enjoy what they're doing, be profitable what they're doing, and um, and so I want to help you with that. And so it meant I had thousands of hosts from around the world, and I, and we have global webinars. We'd have these, this thing called the Airbnb Open uh, each year, and, and where we have at our last Airbnb Open, we had twenty thousand uh, hosts from uh, one hundred ten countries around the world. And everybody got that e- email address, so people used it. Um, I, luckily, I, I and I responded to all of them. What I would do is I had a team where I'd look at the email and I'd immediately make a decision: is this one I need to respond to, you know, one on one, which I would do, or is or seventy five percent of the time it was somebody who had a problem that they needed to get solved, and it was a it was clearly a customer service problem or something like that. And there, I had a team that actually could support me in that. But by actually saying, "Here's my email address," I'm a real person. I will be reading all of these and then actually figuring out where they should go and then having a team supporting me. If I didn't have a team supporting me, that would be a stupid idea. There's no reason for me to put my email out there. But if I had a team supporting me, which I did, that allowed us to do that. And I think it really helped because it meant, okay, these people care. Um, and they haven't just processed the whole thing to the point where I have to just do everything online. And not, some of us don't love doing everything online. We'd much rather talk to someone.
0: Yeah, well, let's do this because we could obviously talk Airbnb for days, and uh, on uh, Beyond Eight Figures, we'll we'll get into much, much more of that, and get into a little bit more of the weeds, and get a little more granular around all that fun stuff and Joe David, and so on. But I want to take it back for a minute here to what you're doing with the wisdom at work and the making of a modern elder, because you know this this work is uh, obviously where your your passion lies at this point. You actually. Uh, have taken it to um, kind of the nth degree again well interestingly enough tying back in a bit of hospitality uh, in terms of opening up the modern elder academy so you're you're pretty much all in here on this intergenerational exchange of wisdom and helping people really reconnect with with who they are and and so on and so forth so i I just want to try to get a, a clear understanding first of all of just how do you define a modern elder
3: so I define a modern elder as someone who is um, as curious as they are wise. And what that means is <clears throat> it's somebody who, you know, wisdom is something that we can build over time. You can, you can, you can, as you get older, you can get wiser, although it's not, you know, not a requirement. <laughs> people can get older, but not necessarily elder. Um, and I, and I, I distinguish between elder and elderly. Mm. An elderly person is someone later in life than an elder. An elder is someone who is, frankly, older than the people who surround them. So if you're 40 and you're surrounded by 25-year-olds, you could be an elder. Um, so it's, it's, it's less about the exact age you are. It's more about the referential part of how you are older than the people around you by a substantial number of years. And so you bring to the table some experience and some you know, uh, perspective and judgment that maybe a, a younger person wouldn't have. But it is not one-sided. The elder of the past was one-sided that elder would actually deliver wisdom. I believe that uh, a modern elder is as much a wisdom seeker themselves as they are a wisdom keeper, uh, and so dispensing that knowledge. So um, the idea of the Modern Elder Academy came as I was writing the book, Wisdom at Work, uh, about my experience at Airbnb and my experience of being the mentor to a, you know, who's probably Brian Chesky who's probably, you know, he's a multibillionaire at this point, and he's probably one of the best-known CEOs of the millennial generation at this point, I was his mentor for five and a half years and and continue to be that, uh, in that mentor role. But I learned, he was my mentor too. I learned digital intelligence from him, not knowing much about tech, and he learned emotional intelligence from me. And so there was a, that was not the only way we traded our, 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 our knowledge to each other, but that was one of the ways.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: what I really started to think about is there's a lot of people out there who are getting older, and they're going to live 10 years longer maybe than their parents did, and yet power is cascading to the young faster than ever before because of a growing digital economy. So if do the math. If you're going to live 10 years older and power is moving 10 years younger, you have 20 years of additional irrelevancy unless you figure out how to remake yourself, how to reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. And so Modern Elder Academy in southern Baja, an hour north of Cabo San Lucas, on a three-acre campus, is the first of its kind. We call it a a midlife wisdom school. It's like reinvention university, um, (laughs) but a place where people can go and spend a week or a two-week program with people who are similarly aged, focused on um, how to
0: repurpose themselves for the second Yeah. Yeah and you know as you look at that dynamic you know it's interesting because a lot of people don't think that they have enough to teach or that they truly can be an elder one of the uh expressions that I love and have shared on numerous occasions is to a second grader a fifth grader is a god right it's like you just kind of look at the yeah you, know, you look at that out of context and it's it's laughable i mean right you know what 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 does a fifth grader know but to a second grader that fifth grader is an absolute god so How do you help people overcome sort of their own personal hang-ups around whether or not they can teach someone something or, in fact, could be seen as, as a modern elder? Because a lot of people are dismissive of their life experiences and the knowledge that they have. So how do you help people overcome those concerns?
3: Well... The, the book, we sort of follow the book. My book wisdom at work, uh, and the, the, the four key lessons I had at Airbnb. Um, and then I've actually studied a bunch of other people who reinvented themselves uh, in midlife in other places. And the first lesson is to evolve. And so if we're not evolving, something's wrong. We're probably dying. So the process of evolving means you need to strategically edit, you know, what knowledge you have. When I the Airbnb... It didn't really matter that I knew that it took, you know, the average maid uh, would clean 12 or 14 rooms in an eight-hour shift. That doesn't mean much for a host or to an Airbnb community. So that knowledge, I needed to say, hey, that's not knowledge I could use here. There's other knowledge I could use here. So I I had to figure out what was relevant, what wasn't. I also had to figure out, hey, I was CEO of my own company for 24 years. I was the face of the company. Now I'm behind the scenes. I'm the mentor to the CEO and, the, and an advisor to the three founders. So I had to change. I had to sort of strategically edit my ego a little bit, also, with, um, because I was sort of the behind the scenes person. Um, and so I think that first step of like evolving and realizing you can't, you know, if you're just living your life. There's a guy named Carl Jung, a psychologist long ago, said you can't live the afternoon of your life as you did the morning, which is basically just saying. Listen, you're going to live your midlife differently than you will your 20s. And if you don't, you're actually going to, you're pretty much evidence of midlife crisis. <laughs> mm. Because midlife crisis often is people saying, I want to still be 22 years old, and they're 48 years old or, or 55 years old. And so, number one is evolve. Number two is learn. You need to learn. You need to be willing to say, um, I don't know it all. And I need to go learn something new in a, in a field or area that I didn't know anything about. And, I, you know, I didn't know anything about technology. I was working in a tech company for the first time at age 52. So I had to learn something new. Um, and then thirdly, the third lesson is collaborate. The thing that's great about someone who's a modern elder or someone in midlife, uh, and I, in midlife to me, I define it historically been 45 to 65. I actually think midlife has become a marathon. It's now 35 to
2: 75 mm. yeah. because
3: people are feeling irrelevant Earlier, because of the tech economy. And they're going to work longer, maybe to age 75, because in some cases necessity, in other cases because they want to. If they're going to live Mm -hmm. to 100, why would you stop working at age 65? Mm
4: -hmm. And
3: so that combination means midlife is now longer. It's 40 years long. And so one of the things you've learned by midlife is you've learned how to take that emotional intelligence. So wisdom to me is about pattern recognition understanding the patterns of things, and then being able to get your intuition. Your intuition tells you something when you see the pattern. Well, the patterns around people are something that humans humans are better. And so your third lesson of understanding how do you use your collaboration skills to good order in a company or to um, being able to help advise uh, an organization by being a great collaborator, that's a skill that you have as you get older. And then the fourth lesson is counsel, which is what we all start with. Council means being an advisor. So people think, "Oh, I'm a modern elder. I'm a you know, I'm, a, I'm you know, a mentor. I'm someone. Old. My job is just to advise people. I think that's the fourth. That's what you do fourth. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you start with advice, if, you, if that's what you start with as your perspective, you start sounding like the preacher from the alt from the from the uh, from the um, the pulpit." because you're sort of just a lot of times it's not even that you're giving advice you're you're you're, you're lecturing. Mm-hmm. And I think if you start with those other three you create some humility and a creative relationship where people actually start drop, being drawn to you and then, and then and then you offer them the the fourth piece which is the counsel and advice of a confidant.
1: So can I ask a quick question about when you were asked Please. to work with Airbnb? Did you go in and articulate your philosophy on modern elder or did you just preach the gospel without no, using words. I did
3: Mary, I didn't know a thing about it. I truthfully, truthfully, I thought my role is to come in here and help be the head of hospitality and help them become a great hospitality company and help Brian become a great leader as his mentor. So I didn't know anything. I n- never used the language elder. I mean, frankly, the first time I used the language elder was about two years into the job. And someone said, you know, you're like my elder. And I said, you know, wash your mouth out. I'm not an elder because I thought they meant Elder Lee and what he really meant was no you're the person who I look to for advice you're the wise sage there's something about you what he said to me is you have this presence you don't have an ego I'm surrounded by people my age 26 years old here they're all brilliant but they're trying to teach me and show me how smart they are you just are curious you're you are very, just an interested person, and I like, I like to be like you when I grow up. And so you're my elder in that way. And I was like, wow, this is language. But someone who came from, from China, Chinese-American, and so there's an element he had. He was talking about the reverence of an elder. So there's that element of it. But I think what I learned was, gosh, that I was not going to succeed by just having people revere me because, frankly, young people today don't necessarily revere their elders. They revere their iPhones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think the fact is If I don't know how to use my iPhone I can use those young people to help me Learn how to, to use my iPhone and, and understand the face of my own iPhone As much as I do the face of the person sitting next to me But that young person, that 26 year old can help, I can help them learn To read the face of the person sitting next to them They understand the face of their iPhone Better than they do the person sitting next to them mm-hmm. And so that kind of symbiotic is what led me to saying, well, I'm not an elder, really. I'm a modern elder because I think the modern elder is learning as much as they're teaching.
2: So, Chip, this is Richie again. Um, When you were talking about the intergenerational exchange or, like, integration, do you, at this modern elder academy, do you have millennials come in, too, or are you mostly just talking with people who are elders and kind of how to deal with, What's going on in the world today, or do you actually get the two together? And because I've always, we, we, go ahead. Uh,
3: uh, yeah, on occasion we get them together. Um, so we, um, the average week there has 12 to 18 people in a cohort, in a group. Um, and uh, so some of them, since we, we, we have someone in November coming from Kenya, she's a junior elder in a tribe in Kenya. Uh, and from from a very wealthy tribe in Kenya that um, is sending her all the way to Mexico to the academy, and she's 31 years old. So we have young people who are part of the group. Um, most usually, we say you know you have to be between 35 and 75. Um, but even if someone's 35 or 36 or 38, they're a millennial. So um, some people in the group can sort of be both a millennial and an elder at the same time because. There are a lot of people in Silicon Valley or in the tech industry that by age 38, they feel like they've aged out. Mm -hmm. They feel frankly like, wow, um, you know, it's been all downhill since I moved into my 30s. So, um, but yes, we do also have some weeks where it's an intergenerational week. So we'll have um, basically boomers and Gen Xers and millennials all together and talking about how we learn from each other.
2: And do you have any... um any advice for people trying to kind of pair up those, like say someone has a business and they have a traditional, maybe it's an old school business where there was a lot of older people. It was eye to eye and shaking hands and going into yeah. the place and taking orders. And now it's moving more techie because they can't k- kind of keep up with what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any recommendations for people on, you know, each direction for, for the, the youngsters on what they can learn from some of the elders and the elders what they can learn from the millennials?
3: Yeah, I think, of, first of all, there's something called mutual mentoring. And mutual mentoring is a relatively new phrase to speak to the idea that we can learn from each other. And um, I, there's also reverse mentoring and then there's traditional mentoring. Reverse mentoring is usually a, a younger person's mentoring, an older person usually around technology. I think the best thing and that is to keep it as informal as possible. I think a company, a larger company, can create formality around how do we create more intergenerational collaboration, and that's fine. But for a smaller company, I think the best thing to do is to figure out how do we pair up people in a social setting, uh, such that people, different people in the company, are maybe having a meal with someone that they, they don't know all that well. Let's, let's say you've got a company of fifteen people. Um, let's, let's actually make it even simpler: twelve people. You have twelve people in the company. And let's say that um, once a month there's a, either a requirement or a, a, a suggestion that you take somebody else out in the company that you don't know that well and you have a minimum of a one-hour lunch learning from each other. And so, you know, we don't have to, you don't have to pair people up. People can do it on their own. But the idea is you say, okay, I'm going to find someone. And then you even say, we encourage you to talk to someone who is different than you maybe has a different cultural background, uh, maybe is in a different part of the company, you're in the engineering part and they're in the sales part, um, do it with the intent of actually learning something from them, and they're going to learn something from you. Um, and then also, if, if it's a company that does have some age diversity, suggest that maybe somebody who's a little older or younger than you might be helpful. I've seen a couple of companies, smaller companies do that, and it's been phenomenal when you sort of put the welcome that out and say, hey, We'll pay for your meal. Uh, you can go out anywhere you want. And, um, you know, as long as you're not having a free martini lunch, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, we will we'll pay for your meal and for you guys to get to know each other a little bit better and learn from each other. And literally, that something as simple as that can be one of the most effective means for a smaller company to create a learning and development program.
0: Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a question. This is going to go down a slightly different path here, but it ties into your idea here of just finding creativity, finding freedom, finding happiness, and so on and so forth. And it ties back to your work with the Fest and being on the the board of Burning Man and and some of the other work that you've done there in the in the world of Fests. As we look at the millennial generation and then younger than the millennials, right? I don't even know what we call that generation that's in their 20-something as Gen Z. Generation or, Z. Yeah, yeah, Gen Z. Supposedly. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting because, as you said, you can read the face of the iPhone better than you can read the face of the person next to you. And then with all these fests and Burning Man and, Coachella and I mean, you name it and so on and so forth, you know, my, my experience has been that a lot of those people uh, are just really fucking miserable. You know, like they—they are—they are so hap- <laughs> like they—they're—they're so happy, and they put on this whole front of being just these happy, you know, so authentic, you know, in, in terms of how they express themselves and so on. That it like it, it's almost like this circle that that circles all the way back that they are so authentic that it circles all the way back to being inauthentic, and they're really quite unhappy people. I mean, you see it in terms of depression, mm-hmm. you see it in terms of suicide, you see it in terms of the the massive highs and the massive lows. You know, you go out and you, and you live in sort of this surreal environment for a week out in the desert, and then you come back to the real life and you realize, holy fuck, like, things suck, you know? Like, you know, like, this world <clears throat> is not that, that ve- you know, it's that container of love that you find in a lot of those, uh, <clears throat> you know, real-world scenarios. is just, it doesn't exist, I- I- you know, in the real world. So that, that my, my question to you, then, is you look at some of these companies and and you look at this this whole... Uh, balance, if you will, of bringing in your your wisdom to a world like Burning Man, like Airbnb, et cetera. How much are you finding that uh, one of the biggest issues uh, amongst everything else here is just people learning how to just simply be happy without having to mm-hmm. live in the world of that phone where everything is a smiling face on Instagram?
3: Yeah. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, there's a a lot of research that shows that um, who we tend to spend our time with has an enormous impact on how we're feeling. And before the Internet and before social media, before iPhones, a lot of that was more in your own neighborhood, and you had the time to sort of get to know people. And and what what it actually proved back then was a uh, fascinating study at one point was like if someone had a choice between making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and being um, but, but earning less than their neighbors, or earning fifty thousand dollars a year and earning more than their neighbors. Which would you prefer? And the answer was people would prefer fifty thousand a year but making more than their neighbors, mm. even though you're making a, a third of the hundred fifty. Now they don't tell you anything else. Like you know, are you in are you in Nepal at fifty thousand or in Manhattan in New York at one hundred fifty thousand? So people make their own assumptions, but the bottom line is the relationship of you and who you're around has a huge impact. Mm -hmm. What we don't have as much evidence on yet, uh, although we have some, is that it gets amplified dramatically when social media gets involved because the comparing of our insides with other people's outsides gets um, just, you know, uh, gets on steroids Mm -hmm. in the sense that People feel internally unsure, fearful, um, disappointed, and yet on social media or at some festival, everybody seems so happy. Or everybody, you know, there's an element of, okay, all of that's going on and I don't feel that, so what's wrong with me? And the, the what's wrong with me component of, of how especially younger people um, are affected by that is uh, it, it's a bit at the stage of being somewhat rampant. Um, and so I, the number one thing I say to people who have children, you know, adult children who are in that issue or, they're, 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 or people I work with here at Airbnb who are sort of doing that is number one is turn off the blinders, you know, put some blinders on and be less focused on, you know, your social media feed. Um, and I don't say that because I want to, like, shut down Facebook um, and, and make Facebook go away. I, Facebook has a, lots of great purposes. But the, the thing is, it, become, it can become an addiction, mm-hmm. and it absolutely can be something that uh, affects your sense of your own self-esteem. The number one thing you can do when you're not feeling good about yourself is to do something for someone else. Be grateful for what you have and actually show it in some kind of service way to someone else. The moment you start taking that path and show some gratitude and a little bit of service, you start to feel better about yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how quickly that can happen.
0: hmm yeah and look we could certainly go on here for for days and uh and there's so much more in the book Wisdom at Work the Making of a Modern Elder that people will I mean take away from from that with uh with obviously the benefit uh, of your experience but also the benefit uh of uh, you know the the uh, the research that you've done and everything else that goes into this book so really uh, appreciate the fact that you took the time to to put this book together let me let me ask you this in terms of uh, any final thoughts coming out of the book Wisdom at Work, or uh, any final thoughts just in terms of the conversation around the intergenerational exchange of wisdom or the mentor elder discussion? Just want to make sure that you got an opportunity here to close out.
3: Yeah, I think. I mean, I think the thing that's interesting: we have five generations in the workplace for the first time. We have people in their mid seventies still in the workplace. We have people twenty one, and th- those are those are the bookends that we don't talk about: the Silent Generation uh, at the older level and the Gen Z, and With five generations in the workplace for the first time and with the world changing as quickly as it is, I really think of the future of work as being like an intergenerational potluck. And everybody brings to the table what they do best, uh, and as a result, you have an amazing feast. And I think that the the future of the working world is going to be learning how to be a lifelong learner uh, such that it's not about just learning you know, during college, high school, college, or graduate school, but it's something you do in your 50s. And you, sometimes you even take a, a year off and say, I'm going to go just have a great time or learn something new. Because if we're going to live to 100, um, at age 50, you're less than 40% of the way through your adult life.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so I just would highly recommend that people think of uh, that as, you know, that you can renew yourself and reinvent yourself at any point in your life, Uh, and you can still do great work into your 70s and 80s, and and some people even have shown it into their 90s. Um, And I think the idea that wisdom and genius, genius being the young people, wisdom being the older people, they're not mutually exclusive. They can actually work together.
0: Well, look, Chip, really appreciate you taking the the time to be with us here on Reinvention Radio and uh, very much looking forward to digging into more of the business nuts and bolts uh, when we sit down on our new show, Beyond Eight Figures. Uh, If people want more information uh, about you and uh, grabbing wisdom at work, the making of a modern elder, where where should they go?
3: They go to chipconley.com, C-O-N-L-E-Y. Uh chipconley.com, and you'll find out about the book and the Modern Elder Academy there, as well as me. And And I do write articles on
0: LinkedIn, so you can go to my LinkedIn profile as well. Awesome. All right, you were Chip. terrific. Yeah. Chip, yeah, we're going to let you run here, man. Thank and you, know, Mary. Thank I know, you. I know you were a man and new. Great man. to talk to you guys. All right. Sounds really good. So, man, Chip Conley, Uh Again, you can go to chipconley, uh Get more information there about Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. Get that book. Uh, and, of course, the modern Elder Academy, as well as everything else uh, that he is up to in the world. So, uh, Richie, did it leave a, li- live up to your expectations, your, uh, oh, yeah. your hopes well, and dreams I mean, there?
2: I know there's only so much <laughs> you can talk about in an hour, especially competing yeah. with the microphone with you. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we
1: would have done a deep dive on some of this stuff with him, yeah. for sure. No, yeah. and, and it yeah. just
2: makes me look forward to the new book even more and staying in touch and, you know, looking at the next show, obviously, but it just reminds me of, you know, a quote from one of his equations was despair equaled suffering minus meaning. And it just sounds like he's just wanting to help people still have meaning in their life. It's Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, one of my biggest takeaways uh, is when he said, power is cascading to the young. You know that's uh, that's a heavy hitter right there. Power is cascading to the young. Interesting, and
2: it's true. You well, know, for it's, the first time in history, we might be happy for our kids instead of worried for our kids. I know, right? Seriously,
0: yeah. and uh, possibility and, and and aging out at thirty. Um, oh my, Lord. that's a little frightening. But there we go. So we live and we learn, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, we evolve, we learn, we collaborate, and uh, eventually we counsel. So. Chip Conley, neat really neat guy, and go again, pick up that book, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. Really good stuff from Chip Conley, from Mary Goulet and Richie Ote, White Wade and Kelly Poker. I'm Steve Olsher, and we'll talk to you next time here on Reinvention Radio. Take care. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit ReinventionRadio.com.
4: Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.